Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good evening, good evening. Hey, great to be with you guys tonight. We're going to be journeying through First uh, John, and we started to study First John. So, if you have Bibles, open up to First John chapter two tonight. Hey, I know some of you are new here, but next week we have our Harvest Festival, so there won't be an evening service because we're doing an outdoor festival in the in the parking lot here. Too. So, kind of our first one back from COVID. So, um, we have this tradition we normally done during the Harvest Festival. So, it's our first one back. So, I know that we've been advertising. So, we just want to encourage you to come out if you have to want to come out and serve and be a part of that. Um, we just want to invite you to come out next, or just bring your family out and uh, be blessed by uh, what we're doing here um, next Sunday night. So no service because we're serving next Sunday night. First John chapter 2, look at 15 to 29 tonight as we've been doing this sermon series called Abide, right? And this tonight is talking about the battle for truth, the battle for truth. Now, growing up, I used to watch a show called The Twilight Zone. Some of you young people, I don't know if you remember, but it's a sci-fi, I mean, it was the best sci-fi thing going on for the day. It ran from 1959 to 1964. Uh, in 64, I was only one years old, but they, play the, they used to play it over and over again. And this was their opening lines. There's a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension of vast as space and timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. It lies between the pit of man's fear and submits of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. I think we're fascinated by what's beyond. I think we're fascinated by the spiritual. This evening, we're going to look this evening and propose another dimension, one that is spiritual, as we talk about the battles, we talk about warfare uh, tonight. We are, we are currently doing a service that's called Abide. And, each, and that, that word abide is really an acronym uh, for the, the gospel of 1 John, really. 1 John, it's, it's, it's really one that if we abide in Christ, we find victory. We find life. We only have to go to John chapter 15 that talks about that. If we abide in him and he abides in us, we'll bear much fruit. There's something about abiding. It, it's, it's much more than doing. It has to do more to, to sitting and, and to resting as we abide in Christ. Because in Christ, we bear much fruit. In Christ, he does a great work. In fact, I said that the word abide is the acronym for the book. We've covered chapter one already, and that's really about having an abundant life. So we're talking about the true fellowship between God and, and with each other. And, and God desires that we have that abundant life. The second chapter is about a battle. There's a battle in knowing God and, and keeping his word and knowing his truth. And we're gonna look at that tonight. We, we jump to chapter three, the word I and abide is really to, to imitate, that we're called to imitate Christ, and we're going to see that in chapter 3, and then we close off the book with chapter 4 about the discernment, discerning what is true and what is false. And then the EA in chapter 5 is about eternal. God gives us eternal life so we can have an eternal impact. So the word abide is really the outline for First John. We know that First John is the cliff notes of the Gospel of John, so you see a lot of things going back and forth as the author is the same of the Gospel of John and First John and the, the book of First and Second, Third John is the same author. And so tonight we're going to jump into chapter two, 
looking at verses 15 to 29. Let, 29, let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. And I just pray that as we study your word that you'll speak. Father, as we understand your word, as you laid it out, as the Apostle John has written this letter, the latter part of his life, he's wanting to give us spiritual insight into this battle, the battle that we all face every single day because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And, and so, Father, I pray tonight that we get a little glimpse into another dimension, to another world that's beyond because we have to battle in the spirit and not in the flesh. And so I pray tonight that you would teach us and instruct us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to look at several things tonight as it's a pretty, I'm kind of finishing up chapter two tonight as we've been going through it is that the spiritual battle is fought in the heavenly realm. Our battles fought in the heavenly realm. You're going to see that in first John chapter two, verses 15 to 17. I love John. In fact, for those who like to see things in black and white, you would devour his writings. Think about it for a moment. He sees things in black and white in white. Just study his writings. Sometimes if you look at his writings, you don't see that he has much grace. Think about the words here. In the first two chapters, he's a straight shooter. In fact, we read in chapter 1 verse 6, he says this, if you say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's what John's writing. He's like, I'm going to tell you like it is. Then you go to chapter 2, I'm in chapter one, verse 10, it says this, if you say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. When you get to chapter two, verse four, he says this, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. I think John's a pretty straight shooter. With John, you know where you stand. When you come to chapter two, verse 15 to 17, look what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I don't think John mixes words. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He just lays it out like it is. And he, he casts out the seed like a farmer and he hopes it falls on good soil. And that's what you see here in, in 1 John chapter 2. He's known as the apostle that loves because what? He's always speaking the truth and love. Why? Because we read in the beginning of chapter two, verse one, he says, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. He has a purpose in his writing. He has a purpose in talking about truth. He has a, a purpose of battling for the truth that we would have a victorious life. But the victorious life does not come without battle. Does not come without trials. Does not come without difficulties. And the first thing he challenges us in this in verse 15, is if we want a victorious life, we're gonna be in the battle John commands us not to love, not to love of the world. Not to love the world. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I think he matches up with the Apostle James in 4.4 when James says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. <laughs> There's a battle. The flesh and the spirit, the battle of the world and the heavenlies. There's a battle going on, Right? But what is the Apostle John really saying about this battle, a battle with the world? We have to have to understand there's not, John is not talking about a physical world here in the sense of this physical being bad, in the sense of the physical, right? 
There are beautiful things about this world. In fact, we have the seven wonders of the world. This world has beautiful sceneries and beautiful things. My wife and I, we just got back from a vacation last week and we were able to go get away to Cabo down in Mexico and spend time a week. It was a beautiful place. It was beautiful shores and beautiful people. So he's not talking so much about the physical as he's talking about the spiritual because the psalmist would equate many characters of God to the creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are not without excuse. God is the creator of this world. It's a, it's, he's a creative God. And the things he made are, were good. He, saw, he called them good, and he called them excellence. And they're beautiful. He uses the, the word here. The word world in the Greek is the word cosmos, is what it is. It means a system or order or a universe of worldly affairs. It has to do with the mass of men alienated from God or therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. There's a system. There's something in place that's contrary to God. When he says, do not love the world, he says, do not love the systems of this world. The things that are contrary to, to God. And he begins to, to lay out that we are, the things that we battle today are not physical, but, but spiritual. That's why Paul the Apostle writes to the Ephesian church about the armor of God. Men, we're going to have a study through the armor of God coming up in the next weeks. Why? Because, because for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. What? In the heavenly places. The heavenly places. The heavenly places where Christ reigns. In fact, it says that we, when we're born again, are in the heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, most of us operate in five senses, right? Touch and taste, smell, hearing, sight. But I want to present a sixth sense. The world, the, the word heavenly places can be translated heavenly realm. There's another realm that we have to be understand and be aware of. And I want you to understand that our battle is not against our, our neighbor or our spouse or our children or our bosses. We do not wrestle against the flesh and blood. This is flesh and blood. But what we see, the physical realm is usually rooted in something in the spiritual realm. And so if we're going to battle, we can't battle in the physical. when We have to be battling in the spiritual. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, Scripture says. That if I want to defeat the enemy, I cannot use carnal means to to defeat a spiritual being. And so though we battle in the spirit, we see the effects in the physical. And that's why Paul writes in 1 John 2, 14, because we're looking at 15 in a minute. We are looking at it. It says, young men were strong because the word what, abided in them and they were able to overcome the wicked one. Victory came when they abided in the word. The word of God, the sword of the spirit is one of the armors. That we battle with the sword of the spirit's. In the garden, we were given a perfect world prior to the fall. But after the fall, the enemy, Satan, became the ruler of this world. Jesus called him the ruler of this world, and, and Paul described him as the prince of the power of the air. That was a definition of Satan himself, a description that he reigns in this world. This is his world. He's the ruler of this world. And so what John is writing here is he says, don't be seduced by this World, don't be dis be seduced into strongholds. You know they say that um, <laughs> love is blind. They say they say that love is blind, right? 
worldly love can be blind. It, it, it doesn't want you to see the truth. But love is powerful. I remember when I was dating my wife, Julie, and she's driving back from Northern California. She had just gotten a new VW bus and got stuck at the grapevine in the middle of the night. And her mom calls me and said, hey, Julie's stuck at the grapevine by herself. Can you go get her? I was in Fullerton, California, and I jumped in a car. And I, trust me, I got up to the grapevine in an hour. For those who know what's up, you know what I mean? Love will do crazy things. Love will speed through the, the streets to get to the one you care about. He uses the word here, do not love the world. The word here is love is agapo. Denotes to take pleasure in the things or to prize it above other things. So love means to be unwilling to abandon it or to do without it. So verse 16 gives us a more specific about what loving the world looks like. Those who love the world, the Father love is not in him. For if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so he's going to begin to lay out here about how we're not to love the world. That we don't love the things of this world in verse 16. Look what it says here. For all the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is the biggest seducer. And Satan has a strategy to defeat you, right? I know that we have, um, on TV, we have a lot of platforms to watch movies. And one of them is now the Disney Channel, right? We're all familiar with the Disney Channel. Has all the Disney movies from the old Disney movies, all those things. And one of the famous animation Disney movies is Pinocchio. Remember, you guys remember Pinocchio. If you were watching growing up, watching Disney movies, Pinocchio, right? And in the movie, you know, the, the wooden boy wants to be made human. And, but he goes through a trial. He goes through some temptation. And there's a man that promises him the world. And he falls into this promise, right? He, he falls into the pleasure of sin. And what happens to old little Pinocchio? He becomes a donkey in the story. He, he turns slowly into a donkey, right? Later to fleeing from his father and running away. He, and the story ends up that he, he swallowed up by a whale and Pinocchio stuck in a whale. I know another man who got stuck in a whale who had to repent and be forgiven. As Jonah, we looked at that this morning. When Pinocchio kind of repented and he began to ask for forgiveness for all the things he did wrong, he begins to be transformed into this real boy in the story. In some ways, he's become born again in the story. I think when we get seduced by the world, it turns some of us into some donkeys, <laughs> right? It turns us some donkeys, right? We know there's another word for donkeys, but we won't go there, all right? The Bible says that, right? And for some of us, we might enjoy the sin of the seven, but we'll reap a whirlwind when we, we get seduced by the, the cares of this world. But we know that in 1 John chapter 5, faith is what helps us overcome the world. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the truth. We're battling with the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what helps us overcome the temptations. But what is really the root of loving this world? The root sin is lust. It's lust. That's what he says here. Lust means desiring. It means craving. It, it, it means longing. Now, lust is not a, a bad word 
or desire is not always a bad thing. We, we, I mean, we want to have desires to do good. We have goals and objectives, right? We have a desire to be successful, to achieve healthy goals in our lives. But when lust and desire manifest itself in un, unhealthy manners, it leads to temptation and sin. Let me illustrate. We desire food. We desire for food to be good. But gluttony is a sin. We, we desire, know that sex is good, but immorality is sin. We desire sleep, and sleep is good, but laziness is a sin. If we take things to the extremes, or we take things to out of the context by which they're given to us, it, it, it could perform unhealthy habits and lusts. There was a, a technique used by salesmen. It's called this, a foot in the door. When, you, when the salesman used to come to the door and they knock, if they could just get their foot in the door, you can close it. They knew they could sell you something. They knew that, see, the enemy wants to get a foot into your house. He wants to get a foot into your door. He wants to sell you a bill of goods. Say he wants to move in. And you know what? Satan doesn't, when he wants to attract you, he, he, he doesn't broadcast his plans. He doesn't say, come to the bar and become an alcoholic and use your family. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He looks for the open door to move in. That's why he's a deceiver. That's why he's a snake. That's why he's cunning. Be careful the open doors that we open up into our lives. Be careful the things that we watch. Be careful the conversations that we have. Be careful the relationships that we get and that might just be unhealthy and unprofitable. Because there's a lot of things that are legal, but not all things that are profitable. There are things that's okay to do. doesn't mean we benefit from them. And so we have to be careful. We don't always have that open door policy to let everything in our house. We're called to guard our homes and guard our marriages and, and guard our relationships. Though sometimes these things that we do might seem harmless, they only open up doors to deeper issues. They're, they're gateways and we have to be careful. And so the Apostle John lists three things, three strategies Three moves that the enemy uses against us. Why? Because the enemy has an attack plan. He has a strategy here. And so the challenge that the apostle Peter gives us about the enemy is this. What? Be sober. Be clear in your thinking. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks, like a, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the purpose of the enemy. He wants to devour you. He wants to see you dead. That's why he's a murderer from the beginning. That's what he's described as. And so the Apostle John lists three things here that he wants us to be aware of. Number one, because he says, be careful of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is desire to do what the world does. Satan appeals to the sin nature of man, to the wickedness, the weakness of the flesh. In fact, the word here says, the lust of the flesh Flesh defined here means the human nature. We talk about, we talk about flesh. Not, it's, just, it's not the physical flesh. It's the human nature of man. It's the depravity of man. It's the earthly nature of man apart from the divine influence. And therefore, this, divine, this human nature is prone to sin and, and sometimes even opposes God. It can even be the sensual nature of man, the animal nature of man, the sexual desire of man outside the context of God's design. In fact, the enemy, Satan, will feed 
into the sexual temptation of men and women in our culture and things that we watch. We have access to things that we watch. Today, it's so crazy. Between TV and Netflix and Amazon and everything else is accessible on our phones, on our TV. It's accessible to us. Be careful of the things we allow in. That even the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Romans, says, be careful that you don't make provision for the flesh. Be careful that you don't open up things that you know are going to lead you down places that you don't want to go or do things you don't want to do. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look on lustfully at a girl, he says. He made provisions of things that we have to be careful for that doesn't feed our flesh. I was told one time when two dogs were fighting, they asked which one would win. And the owner said, the one you feed the most. Whatever you feed yourself in, that's going to be what you're strong in. And that's the stronghold that will hold you. So if we feed our flesh, our flesh will win over our spirit. But if we feed our spirit, our spirit will win. But we know that Paul writes to the Galatians that the flesh and the spirit, they wage war against each other. There's a battle that goes on. And so be careful of the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. That's why Jesus said, crucify your flesh daily. Put it to death. There's a challenge for us on that walk. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossian church to, to cast, off, cast off those things of the flesh and, and anger and bitterness and put on compassion and put on love. So there has to be a denial. There has to be a casting off. There has to be things where the lust of flesh can be a stronghold in our lives. We're not careful. Then he talks about the lust of the eyes here in the passage. The lust of the eyes is desire to have all that the world offers. Sometimes, we'd, we, sometimes we can even envy the prosperity of the wicked. God, I'm trying to follow you, but those that are following you will be prosperous and successful. Be careful we're not envious of the prosperity of the wicked. In fact, the lust of the eyes can have to do with our desire for more. We know the scripture says that the stomach is never satisfied, right? I had to go get some pollo. Went to pollo loco for dinner tonight before service and by later tonight, I'm going to be hungry again because the stomach is never satisfied. The lust of the eyes is never satisfied. Greed and covetousness is alive and well. Even the word says, what if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? What if we get everything we desire? Just study the book of Ecclesiastes and, and study Solomon and all that he received and all that he wanted. And, he, and he, everything he wanted in his eyes, he took it. And he participated, and his whole sum of his whole experience was it's all vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. You know, we, we get impacted by the TV and the advertisements we see because the advertisements really feed, feed the lust of the eyes. It, it tells us what we think we need, right? Back in the 50s, from 1954 to 1999, we saw the, the Marlboro Man campaign. I don't know if you remember that, right? It's a picture of a, a rugged cowboy, what? Smoking a cigarette. And we know that there were several Marlboro men. In 1955, Philip Morris and company made over $5 billion in sales. And then in 1957, Philip Morris company made over $20 billion in sales by selling and advertising cigarettes today. Three men who, 
who appeared in the Marlboro advertisement, Wayne McLaren, David McLaren, and Dick Hammer died, all died of lung cancer. All died of lung cancer. Millions were affected by this advertisement, and today the leading cause of cancer is cigarettes, right? People bought the light and paid, bought the light and paid dearly. There was a season when cigarettes were cool, right? But let me tell you this. You know what our season now is? It's not so much that people are smoking more cigarettes, but the profit margin is off the roof with vaping, with vaping. All these people vaping, man, and those, that, that flavor vaping and all that's going on, right? But it still causes cancer. We don't realize like that's a trend going on with this vaping. We have to be very, very careful. Be careful of the, the lust of the eyes. How about the pride of life? So third thing was the pride of life. The pride of life is desire for the world's approval rather than the approval of God, right? Pride puts assurance on one's resource and stability of earthly things. What does pride do for us? Pride is trusting ourself. Pride is saying, I don't need God. Pride is listed as one of the deadly sins in Proverbs 8, 13. Pride and ego can be deadly because pride comes before the fall, the scripture says. Pride is what got Satan cast out of heaven. Pride is what got Haman killed when he set up the guillotines for Mordecai and he hung himself because of his pride. He was later hung on the same guillotines that he built for somebody else. Pride is what almost kept Naaman from getting his healing because he didn't want to baptize himself in the Jordan River when he thought he should be baptizing him in another clean river. But only by the encouragement of a servant girl say, go do this but he could have walked away from his healing of leprosy. Pride will keep you from the kingdom. Pride will keep you from healing. We have to be careful of the pride. Pride will consume us. The greatest poison that we could swallow today is our own pride. Because we enter the kingdom on humiliation. We enter the kingdom on knee and humility. Because he says what? The humble I will exalt, but the proud I will cast out. The humbleness of heart. We saw that in Philippians 2 when Jesus humbled himself and take on the appearance of man and ransomed himself for us. The humility of Jesus. The humbleness of Jesus. We see that. But we also see as he laid out these three things, what's the believer's response in the battle? What's the believer's response to the world in this battle? And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Who walks in the will of God, who walks in humility. This world that we people long for, take pleasure in, is temporal. It's not eternal. Scripture says it'll be burned by fire. It will pass away. But yet so many people invest in the things of this world. Lot build a home, a reputation and a family and lost it all in Sodom. <laughs> he was trying to build something in this city, right? Those who abide in me will pass from this life into the next. That's what he promises. There's a promise of those who walk with God that there's an eternal promise that we have. But I think as we talk about this, we also have to talk that there's a, a battle against deception. 
That's the second thing. It's the battle against deception in 18 to 23, right? I heard a story. This is a story. It says, it's a story of a school teacher who lost her life savings in a business scheme. When her investment disappeared and her dreams were shattered, she went to the Better Business Bureau. Why on earth didn't you come to us first? The official asked. Didn't you know about the Better Business Bureau? Oh, yes, said the lady, sadly. I've always known about you, but I didn't come because I was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. Some of us have been bamboozled by some strange teachings. We easily believe men, but rather, but are afraid to look into God's word. The folly of human nature is that even though we know where the answer lies, God's word, we don't turn there for fear of what might say. I think the greatest battle of the church today is the fight against deception. The devil is the author of confusion. He is the imitator and he is the counterfeiter and his sole job is to rob you, to rob you of lies. He's the one that strips God's word and tears it down and he'll do it by any means necessary. He'll use the kind-hearted and sincere people who are sincerely wrong to teach you things that aren't true. What is deception today? Deception is the, the act of deceiving someone to be fraudulent or dishonest, right? To deceive means to be, be misled by false appearance or statements to mislead or falsely persuade others. In chapter 1, we read in 1 John chapter 1, he's revealing the issues of the Gnostics and the false teachings that were going on, that the flesh was basically evil and the spirit, and the, and the spirit was good and that how can Jesus really be God? He gets into that if he was a man of the flesh because we know the flesh is evil. So they begin to teach this Gnostic theology. He began to, John begins in chapter two, begins to address the issues of deceptive teachings about who Christ was. And we, we, we read the fact that, that anybody that says that Jesus is not God is, is lying. He'll address those issues. He mentions in Matthew 24 that the signs of his times of his coming, that many will fall away from the faith and believe in deception and believe in lies. He says, watch out, no one deceive you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many will claim that they're these spiritual people, that they've got these special words, a special knowledge, Gnosticism, special knowledge, or spiritual insight. And it's usually contrary to God's word. Be careful of that. John gives warning of the coming deceptions in the last hours. Look at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, but which we know that it is the last hour. Little children. It's not talking about little children as elementary school here. He's talking about little children in the faith, like young in the faith. People are trying to learn the things. The enemy will attack those that are new in the faith because they don't know the things of God. It is the last hour. It's coming close. Man, if, if John is writing this, one, one, not even a, a cent, first century early church is writing this, and we're in the 21st century, I would think we're in the last hour, the latter of latter times. This is the time that he's writing. And the deception is going to increase. And the little children are going to be so vulnerable those in the faith and those immature in the faith are those who fail to grow themselves in the truth. I, I'm troubled by so many people because they're young in the faith or don't know their word. They, they get swept by false doctrines of 
false cults, whether it's Mormonism or whether it's Jehovah Witness, or whether, because they don't understand what they believe. They don't know what they believe, and they get swept away by the lies. It's a different gospel. It's a different Bible. But they're easily persuaded because they're not rooted. And so Jesus speaks about an antichrist and an antichrist to come. There's an antichrist spirit in some sense. He uses the word antichrist in the verse. The word antichrist can be translated against Christ or in place of Christ. The word antichrist carries with a threefold meaning. There's the antichrist is a person. We only got to study the book of, of Revelation. There's actual an antichrist in the, in the book of Revelation, a world leader who come on the scene. He's cunning. He's deceptive. He might even be very charismatic and he'll deceive many. There's a spirit of Antichrist, which is put on mark in our history. We think, there's, we think of Hitler or, or Stalin who have just tried to destroy God's people. And there's a spirit coming against Christ. And there's Antichrist that are, that are false teachers who claim that Jesus wasn't God and they don't hold on to the doctrinal foundations of the scriptures. 1 John 4, 2 and 3 says this. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard and is coming even now is already in the world. When people say, oh, Jesus isn't God, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then we're still in our mess. We're still in our sin. See, false teachers don't want to true fellowship. The battle of this fellowship with God in 19, for they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Who's the us in this passage? The us is the church. The us is the believer. The us is us. <laughs> That's who the us is, right? The believer, when he comes to faith, is adopted to God's family in the spiritual sense, it has been admitted in and that we've been regenerated by the Spirit. That's the us. The us is God provides the church as a physical place where we can grow and be part of the physical family. Relationships are important, so we need each other to grow because iron sharpens iron, and God commands us not to forsake the fellowship, the us, the church. It says they went out from us, it says in this verse, he went out from us in the church. They were in the church. They were involved in the fellowship, but they went out from us. But they were not of us, meaning they were not born of God. They were not born of the, the Spirit. They were not born again. The cross was foolishness to them. The carnal mind will not understand the spiritual thing. How many times have you just tried to share the truth with your friends and they don't understand it? and they don't receive it. They can't comprehend it. The carnal mind, the unbelieving mind, doesn't understand spiritual things. If they would have been of us, they would have stayed with us. If they would have been of us, they would have stayed connected to the family. They would have stayed connected to the fellowship. Listen, I've been in this thing a long time, this ministry for almost 40 years, and I've seen people come and go who've come to the altar who said yes to Jesus, and one minute you see them, and the next minute they're out. They've tapped out of the faith, right? Commitment is a, is a big thing in the faith, right? We make a covenant with God. It's like a marriage relationship. And some of these didn't take that commitment 
seriously and they encountered the cost of it. And they say things like, oh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yet Hebrews says, do not forsake the fellowship, right? And so they went out that they might be made manifested. They went out so people could understand who they really were and see them for who they really are. That's why they went out there, right? In Acts chapter eight, we read a man about Simon the sorcerer, right? Simon the sorcerer, right? He came to faith by the preaching of Philip. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit, read chapter eight. But when the real thing happened and when he saw the move of the Spirit, he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. And we saw him for who he really was. And Peter confronted him. Think about Demas in the church. Paul mentions him as a fellow servant in Philemon. We find him with Paul in Roman imprisonment in Colossians 4.14. And later we find him deserting Paul and the faith because he loved the world, 2 Timothy 4.10. He was in the church. He got involved in ministries and then he tapped out because he loved the world. That's the battle. Can we stay in the battle? Can we stay in the game? Where are you going to be in your faith 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years? I got saved when I was 17 years old. I've been walking with the Lord since I was 17 years old. Staying in the game, trusting the Lord, relying on his word, because that's a battle. And the believer has to be able to discern the lie. Look at 20 and 21. But you have, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is in the truth. You have an anointing, a charisma, a power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. It's in a power. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how we discern things. He gives us how we discern things. And it's like when we're driving and, and we're driving our car and we come to a stoplight and we see the orange light flashing, right? Some of you guys, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're driving, you see the orange light. What does that mean? No, it doesn't mean put the foot on the gas, right? Because some of you, that's what it means, right? I'm going to go fast. It doesn't mean go faster. It means warning, slow down. That's what, the, that's what the orange light does. I know you confuse it with red and green sometimes, but it's slow down, warning. The Holy Spirit is our caution light. The Holy Spirit, when we get in circus situations, it says, warning, be careful where you're going. Be careful what you're doing. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a, the mark of the believer. It's our seal. It's our stamp of authenticity. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. How do you know one is born of the Spirit? How do you know one is born again? Does he have the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, mercy, self-control. Is that the manifestation in the belief? Because if he doesn't, then I would question his. If he's rude, if he's angry, if he's aggressive, he doesn't bear the fruit, I don't know if he's born of the Spirit. Because that's the evidence of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what God gives us to discern the things in life. To know, to, to know intuitively. That's what the word to know means. That you have this gut check. He's given us the Spirit that gives us a gut check to, to see things and say, man, is that good or is that bad? You ever have that gut feeling like something's not right? That's the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. He still speaks. The times where you feel like this doesn't sit well with me, that's the Spirit. And God gives you the ability to discern the words of men. Man, I don't know, this guy might be speaking with a forked tongue. 
You ever heard that? Man, that doesn't make sense. Something's not right with that. That's the Spirit. Pay attention to the Spirit because he speaks and he reveals. Why? Because there's false teachers out there that deny the faith. 22 and 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus Christ is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son, and whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The biggest question people often ask is, who is Jesus? Some say he's a, he's a good man. Some say he's a prophet. Some say he's a good teacher. But in this passage, it reveals who he really is, right? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus forgave the sin of the man on the pallet. He did. And they questioned him in there. How can you be God? Because only God is good. Jesus said, exactly. He's forgiven. Because he was saying he was God. Matthew 19, rich young ruler called God a good teacher. And he said, no one's good but God. John called out the liars. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, he calls them out. Anyone who denies or rejects or refuses to believe, we're called to, by faith to believe in Jesus. Second John, verse 7, it says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is coming to the flesh has gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. The same author wrote 1 John, this is writing to 2 John, the same, same book. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus said, I am the image of the invisible God. We read that in Paul's writings. And so we see here that Jesus came in the flesh, that he's a God, he's our savior. He's our Lord and savior. And so as we close the last couple of verses, John commands the believers to abide in the truth. There's a battle to abiding this truth, Right? We have to continue in the truth. Look at this. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. John knew the key to overcome deception in his life is he needed to abide in the truth, to rest in the truth, to hold on to the truth. If you abide in my word and you are my disciple, indeed, Jesus said in Luke 14, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I'm sorry, that's John 8, chapter, John 8, verse 31 and 32. Evan Lewis Cole said this, knowledge of God's word is a bulwark against deception, temptation, accusation, and even persecution. And then we're called to let the word of God dwell in us richly. We're to abide in that. This word is what we're to trust in, to rely on, to rest in, to know, to meditate. Be familiar with it. And it's to dwell means to inhabit. We're to get comfortable with God's word and we're to know it because it's rich for us. But if we don't abide in God's word, we're going to be drifters. We're going to be drifters. Because the book of Hebrews says, pay attention or you're going to drift away if you're not careful. But we're called to avoid deception. Look at 26 and 27. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need 
that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, it is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. We're called to be watchful. That's what we're called. Be watchful. Because there are many going to pull you away from the faith. Be diligent. Be watchful. Don't let anybody deceive you from the truth. And the Spirit will always lead you into truth. Right? Don't just always accept everything you hear. Be like the Bereans who tested it through the Scriptures. Run it through the Word, right? Verse 27 is a good example of how we can easily see things incorrectly, right? Here, for example, we could say this, the Holy Spirit, trust the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean we don't go to church. Well, I could be home and just trust the Spirit. That's not what he's saying here, right? Oh, I don't need to be under a teacher because I'll just let the Holy Spirit teach me. No, we got pastors, teachers, and shepherds, the scripture says, right? I don't need to go to church because God established church. I can have church in my own house. Be careful of the context you put things in. Understand the context of the passage, right? But the bottom line with John is writing here to battle the truth and to live in the truth is we got to know and have confidence in who and whose we are. 28, we close. And now little children, believers, abide in him, rest in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What is he saying? He's saying there's a coming. Jesus is coming back. And if I rest in him and if I abide in the truth and I'm walking the truth and goodness and righteousness, I have confidence when he comes. I'm not ashamed. I'm not hiding from him. I'm confident in the promise because he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If I'm abiding in the truth and I'm walking the truth and I'm studying the truth and I'm living the truth and I'm walking, when he returns, he's going to find me faithful. I can have confidence in that. I can have confidence in that. So my challenge to you tonight as we close is that we have to abide in him and abide in his truth. That's the key to the battle. That's the key to overcoming the flesh. That's the key is, guys, I got to rest and say, look it, Lord, you're the vine. I am the branch. And apart from me, I can do nothing. When I abide in the vine, I bear much fruit. I don't bear the fruit. God bears the fruit in me. The vine, that's, that's Christ. That's him. I, I abide in him. I rest in him. I stand in him. I, I rely on him and trusting that he's going to do this great work in me and he's going to bear fruit in me. That's how I defeat the lies. That's how I defeat the enemy. That I'm able to discern that which is good and that which is evil. And so I want you to understand these three and remind you. Number one, the spiritual battle is fought in the heavenly realm. It's in the heavenly realm. You can't fight it in the carnal realm or in the earthly realm. Number two, we battle against deception. There's people lying. There's things happening out there that we got to be careful. How does it line up with scripture? This is our strainer. We strain everything through scripture. Just because you tell me something, I got to know, I got to see it in scripture. Every ministry we do out a new vision, if you look at we have a scripture base for it. There's a theology that drives our craziness in our methodology. It has to run through scripture. And then we abide in the truth. 
we abide in the truth. That's what's going to keep us safe. And we walk and abide in the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for your love and your blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, as we just traveled through 1 John chapter 2 a little bit. and Father, there's a battle for the truth. Some people can't handle the truth. But Father, to overcome the lie, we need to keep speaking the truth and we need to keep speaking the truth in love. For it's the truth that will set us free. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is the truth. We want to walk in the truth. We want to abide in the truth. We want to live in that truth. And so we know that there's a battle that goes on with our flesh. There's a battle that goes on in our minds. There's a battle that goes on in our hearts. But I pray tonight, Lord, our faith is what helps us overcome this world. And you've given us this armor, Lord, the truth, the belt of truth that holds everything together to help us overcome the lies. So I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time. Thank you.